right. We're going to be in Isaiah 50 this morning, chapter 50. Good morning. I uh, decided to entitle this message, Who Do You Listen To? Who Do You Listen To? When I was a kid, there was a stock brokerage company called E.F. Hutton. Does anybody remember that? You'll be, you'll be dating yourselves, I realize. Yes. And they had a famous set of commercials. You probably remember them. Where they became iconic. So in the commercials, there was always a scene of some busy public place. Lots of noise and lots of conversations happening. And then there'd be two people having a conversation. And one would say to the other one, Hey, I was, I was talking to my broker about this stock situation. And the other one says, Oh, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And he says... And then the whole room goes quiet, no matter what it is. If it's an airplane or a school or a busy restaurant, whatever it is, the whole room goes silent and everybody turns to hear E.F. Hutton will say. And then the tagline was, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen, right? In Isaiah 50 today, that is a big thing. Listening. Are you listening or not? And who are you listening to? That's going to be a big deal. Our theme for this series has been seeing Christ in Isaiah. So for the first 39 chapters, which we didn't hit every single one of them, but I think we got the major flavor of what, what was going on there, that's been kind of difficult. Uh, God's message through Isaiah for this, the first 39 chapters is primarily about God's case against Israel and this promise of judgment. Not just Israel, but, but the idolatrous neighbor nations, neighbors and enemies that, um, that, that were sinning against God and therefore we're going to reap judgment and God's promising it's coming. This judgment is coming. Uh, with chapter 40, a couple weeks ago, Brother James helped us turn the corner. And we, we, we moved into this, this time of comfort now from Isaiah, announcing comfort and an end to the well-deserved punishment. And then last week, Brother Kevin shared with us from chapter 49, introducing the servant, Isaiah's servant of God, this one who would come, the promised one, who we know as the Messiah, and we, we now know is Jesus. He's given us detail, and, and Isaiah is giving us a little bit at a time, chapter by chapter, revealing a little bit more about what this servant is going to be like. And uh, last week, uh, Kevin, as Kevin explained, he'd be born of a woman. He'd be named by God himself. And we see that fulfilled in the New Testament. He was purposed and hidden away like the favorite arrow of a warrior, right? And finally, that the salvation of Israel... As great a task as that was, was too small a task for this servant. Because this servant had, had bigger fish to fry. He was going to be the savior of the entire world. That's, that's the kind of savior that, I, that Isaiah is presenting. And he's, he's introducing and predicting that this is going to happen. Now we're going to... So, so as Isaiah has been re revealing these details... And uh, I want to back up for just a second because there are a couple of primary themes that we've been seeing repeated over and over again in Isaiah about God and his character. One, he is preeminent over all creation, all powers and all people. And we see that chapter by chapter. It's this theme is emphasized. God is in charge. And make no mistake, he is in charge. Nothing rivals him. Nothing rivals his power or his authority. Nothing can threaten him. His justice is pure. And his punishments are both hard and right. And he promises punishment in those first many chapters. Another thing that we see is that he is angry with Israel and other nations for their idolatry and their sin. But 
The anger is not the end of the story. He is seeking reconciliation. So while he will judge and punish, he desires reconciliation and restoration. Now in these recent chapters, we're introduced to this servant of God. This person that's promised. And he will reign as a just king and bring prosperity and justice to the land. We see in these chapters hints about the character of Jesus. Um, we've, and we've skipped over a few of these. This is painful for Kevin and I to, to look through these chapters and decide which ones are we going to like, actually actively preach on and which ones are we going to let rest for now. That was a hard decision to make, but um, I want to just hit a couple highlights of the ones that we've, we've passed over in the last few chapters. Chapter 40, as I said, James preached about that. Um, and this tells us a little bit about the personality of the servant. It tells us that he will tend his flock like a shepherd and carry the lambs in his arms. It's such a gentle picture. After all the promise of violence and bloodshed, we have this picture of a shepherd, a gentle shepherd, lovingly carrying lambs. And remember that Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Chapter 42 tells us that God will put his spirit in him, that he delights in him, and that a bruised reed he will not break. We've heard that phrase before, right? A bruised reed, he will not break. It's from Isaiah 42. It's talking about this servant, about the character of God. He's not interested in grinding down the weak. The bruised reed, he will not break. A picture of gentleness and concern for the weak. I'm reminded when I, when I hear those words, I'm reminded of the, the story in the New Testament. When, when Jesus is confronted by this man with the, with the child, and the, child says, or the man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus' response to him is so kind. He doesn't say, well, if you still got unbelief, that's just not going to cut it. No, he heals the child. That's his character. After just explaining to the man, he had just explained, faith is what's needed here. And the man confessed, I don't really have enough. Jesus healed the man anyway. This, this bruised reed... Jesus covered his gap. And so this, this is the kind of servant that Isaiah is beginning to paint a picture of. All powerful and holding all, holding all of God's authority in himself, yet gentle and kind. So I'm going to read now the passage from Isaiah 50. Um, and we'll look into the chapter and see what else Isaiah is going to add to this portrait. Because he's filling in details. He's telling us a little bit more about this servant. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 11 verses. Thus says the Lord, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which is my creditor's is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish sink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. 
But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth lead them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you've kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we walk through the passage today, I want, to, I want to kind of organize our thoughts into three main points. One, Israel was exiled from not listening to God. Israel was exiled from not listening to God. Two, the servant Jesus listened perfectly to God for our salvation. The servant Jesus listened perfectly to God for our salvation. And three, those who listen to themselves will be lost. Those who listen to themselves will be lost. So, let's start at the top. Israel was exiled from not listening to God. This, this first verse here says, where's the certificate of divorce? What an interesting thing to say. And when I first read that, I had to puzzle over it for a while. I looked into commentaries to try and figure out, what is God saying? Where's the certificate of divorce? And, and this is the conclusion that I reached. There is no certificate of divorce because God hasn't divorced them. But he has sent Israel away. He's allowed the exile to occur. Right? And so he's saying, because of your iniquity, because of your sin, I allowed this. But there's no certificate of divorce. Because he didn't divorce them. He allowed this temporary punishment. Now for the nation of Israel, it's temporary. For many of the individuals in the nation of Israel, it's more than temporary. Because it was decades. Right? So many of them died in exile. But remember that... This is the God who said in chapter 49 that a nursing mother would forget her own child before God would forget Israel. How about that? A nursing mother does not forget her child. How many moms in here? Would you ever, ever forget your baby? You couldn't, right? And God is saying a nursing mom will forget her baby before I will forget Israel. That's, that's the character of this God. So he... He did send Israel away, but his intention was to bring Israel back. And that's what he's saying here. Israel would not listen to God. And this is a key thing. Not listening. They wouldn't listen. And so she was sent away. Verse 2 asks, why? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Why is that? Because they weren't listening. They were not listening. God was speaking. Nobody's listening. And I think we've covered the case for God's frustration with Israel pretty well in previous messages. But here it is again. But also what he's saying here in verses 2 and 3. He's ready and able to redeem. And he emphasizes this with his ability to punish. But he's, he's emphasizing I have the power to punish and I have the power to redeem. And also the will to redeem. He says, behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. And he says these things that he can do in nature. Right? To emphasize his power. But then he says in verse 3, Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? 
So it sounds harsh, but what he's saying is, guys, you might feel like despair because you've been exiled, because you're out. But my hand's not shortened. I can bring you back. I have the power to bring you back, and that's what I'm going to do. So how do we we hear this? How do we take this in? Well, God is speaking. Are you listening? That's the question. God is speaking. Are you listening? He speaks through through the Bible that he's given to us. If we're not listening, it's our own fault. We have these. He speaks through creation itself. Um, Many places in the scripture. Psalm 19 says, The heavens themselves declare his glory. Right? Romans talks about the evidence of creation that tells us about God's character. He speaks through our brothers and sisters when we hear words of encouragement and sometimes correction or rebuke. Rhonda said in Sunday school this morning how important it is that, that we teach each other the gospel over and over again because we need to hear it. We need to hear it. We might be saved for many years. We still need the gospel. We still need to take that in and, and embrace it. Um, God can even speak through lost people. And this might seem strange, but he can do it. Um, He spoke to Balaam through his donkey in the Bible. And and that's a very strange story. But there it is. He used a donkey. And what's really wild is he used a pagan king to rebuke the great patriarch Abraham for how he had handled his wife. These things should not be done is what he told Abraham. A pagan king telling the great patriarch Abraham about an ethical problem. Imagine it. So if Abraham can be schooled by a pagan, we have to have our ears open. We have to. Um, Now, as we study through this chapter of Isaiah, this book, he's speaking to us through his prophet. The prophet's been dead, lo, these many years. But he wrote this stuff down for us. And God's preserved it for us. He's warning us to be faithful. He's, he's warning us that we must listen. And he's assuring us of his love. He's promising us redemption through his servant. Are you listening to these things? All right. The second, the second point here. The servant Jesus listened perfectly to God. This is key. Israel failed to listen, and sometimes we do too, but this servant did not fail to listen. Verses 4 through 9 in our chapter here change to the voice of the servant himself. And that, I, I, I kind of debated about how to read the reading, but I didn't want to interrupt. But there's a voice change between 3 and 4. The first part is the Lord's quoting, and then it switches into the voice of, of the servant, Jesus. Um, and he's not named Jesus in the book of Isaiah, but, but we know who he is, don't we? There's, there's a phrase used here in these verses 4 through 9 four times and it's called the Lord God and uh, the, the Hebrew for that is Jehovah Adonai and it means it means this sovereign Lord the one who is over everybody who has the authority and it's interesting because that those phrases are kind of unique in, in this chapter um, But it's the voice of the servant using these words about the sovereign God, Jehovah Adonai, the Lord God. But it implies that God is the owner and the ruler of every human, that he has the right authority over everybody. And you know what's interesting here? Jesus, the servant, who we understand to be God himself, is submitting himself to the Father by by using these words. And he is emphasizing that 
the position of man before God. Because Jesus took on, took on the flesh of a man. And so he had to act like a man. But a perfect man. And a perfect man recognizes the authority of God. And that's what Jesus did. Called him the Lord God four times in these verses. He had perfect knowledge from God. And verse 4 tells us, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. Remember the boy Jesus in the temple? The story from the Gospels? That even as a child, without time to study and learn and go to university, he had a profound wisdom of the things of God. This was supernatural. It was given to him by his father. And why is that? Because he listened. Jesus said repeatedly that the things he taught were from the Father and not his own message. The work he did was the work of the Father. In John 8, Jesus said, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. So we have here in Isaiah, we have it's saying that the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, and we have right out of Jesus' lips, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. Jesus is confirming, I'm the one. I'm the one that came. But Jesus listened. If we go on to verse 4 and 5, it says, Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear. Now this is interesting because he, in this case, is the Father. And my is referring to Jesus because it's it's Jesus speaking. It's, It's the servant speaking. So morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear. Jesus listened to the Father, and he accepted his words. If you picture the intimacy of Jesus the servant, the Son of God, being awakened day by day by the gentle voice of his own Father, teaching, encouraging, affirming, directing, it's truly strange to think of Jesus, the sovereign king, submitting to anyone. But this is the mystery of the Godhead. Jesus, the ultimate human, demonstrated what human perfection looks like. It looks like submission to God. Daily listening for God's wisdom and instruction. Finally, he obeyed. So Jesus listened and he obeyed. This is a critical point. The servant Jesus did listen to the Father. He did have the mastery of the deep knowledge of God. He had the ability to teach powerfully and preach to the hearts of men. But if that's where it ended, it wouldn't be enough. Again, from verses 5 and 6, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And there's my cheer. The servant now speaking in past tense in Isaiah, 700 years before this stuff would actually happen, he's describing the ordeal of the cross. Right? The pulling of the beard. He, he turned his back to, the, to those who would strike. In, the, in, the, in Handel's Messiah, it says, I turned my back to the smiters. Um, he turned, but it says he turned not backward. He proceeded forward. In John 11, the chapter about Lazarus, do you remember that? And it seems like strange maybe to bring this up. But they learn that Lazarus is sick and they decide they're going to go down there. Jesus says, we're going to go. We're going to go. 
He waits a time, but that's really not the focus of what I'm saying. Is it's time to go. And when he tells them to go, they all say, whoa. You know, if we go down to Judah, they're going to kill us down there. So is that really what we want to do, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, we're going. And Thomas, I love Thomas because Thomas says, fine, I guess we'll all die with you then. So that's, <laughs> I love Thomas. That, that's his, he's, he's accepting Jesus' will that we're going to go, but he fully expects to die. He fully expects, this is the most horrible idea, this is a suicide trip, but if you say go, let's go. And why? Because the, the Pharisees were already on the hunt for Jesus. They had already decided they wanted to kill him, and it was well known. This was not a secret. So Jesus knows that this trip will be his last from Galilee to Judah, but it's time. In prior times, that he, he has actually avoided and said it's not time. When, and when people came to arrest him or stone him, he slipped away. Why? Because he was scared? No, because it wasn't time. Now it's time. And the scripture here tells us that I have set my face like flint. Verse 7, I have set my face like flint. Jesus says, it's time to go. Let's go. And he heads down to Judah, knowing what he faces down there. Perfect knowledge of what would happen and perfect obedience to the Father in that knowledge. Hebrews 12 tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. That's, that's a key concept here. Jesus was looking ahead. He knew what was coming. And so he could, he could endure the pain of the cross because he knew the joy that was coming later. It says he gave his back to those who strike, his cheeks to those who pull out the beard. He didn't hide his face from disgrace and spitting. And this is direct prophecy of Jesus' suffering before the cross. Um, it seems natural to us who've... Uh, now being schooled in, in Christian thought. But how shocking is it actually to think about the Savior of the world submitting himself to humiliation and, and torture and death? Would we expect a divine rescuer, someone someone's chosen by God to come in power and strike down evil? That's kind of what I would expect. They would come in power and they would wipe out evil. Or would they come in humility and submit to evil? Very strange. Very strange. And no wonder the Jews were confused about this. Remember on the road to Emmaus, even his own disciples said in confusion and despair, but we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. They, that's, that we had hoped, but their hope was gone because they didn't know he was resurrected yet at that point. He hadn't told them. So we see that Isaiah is... is Prophesying a strange thing. It's a very strange thing. But it's true. And that's not the end of the story. The servant says confidently in verses 7 through 8 in this chapter. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us, let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. I love this. This is tough talk. Jesus is saying, I have the Father on my side. Who can even approach me with a threat? You can't. I will win. And he knows that he'll lose temporarily, but he will win the war. Um, Jesus was vindicated. Unjustly executed, 
He not only paid for our crimes, but was raised to life in his own divine innocence. Vindicated and then raised to sit at the right hand of the Father in eternal power. So yes, did he come humbly and submit to evil? Yes, for a time. But he didn't stay submitted to evil. It said he was, the the scriptures tell us that he's been raised to sit at the right hand of God. Um, He knew all along and he trusted the Father's plan. If we look at James, James tells us that we, like Jesus, must not only be hearers, but doers of the work. So Jesus listened to God and he obeyed God. He followed his listening with obedient action. To the point of death, even death on a cross, as Paul explained. So, the servant of Jesus, the servant Jesus listened to God perfectly and obeyed perfectly, and so must we. Tall order for us to obey perfectly. But we must listen. We must listen. Are you listening to God? Are you giving time daily to receive his words from Scripture and fellowship with him in prayer? Jesus the servant did. He had three years of ministry. His goal? Save all of humanity. How tough can it be? But he still took the time to pray. Three years, and he still took the time to pray. What do you have going on in your schedule that is more critical than that? If you're like me, this might be a struggle. I'm preaching to myself here. And it may apply to you as well. But you don't have anything more important than Jesus did. Nothing you're doing is more important than the things Jesus had going on. And if he could take time to spend with the Father, to listen, to open his ears to what the Father was telling him, then you can too. And I can too. So set time aside. Look into the word he's given you. This word was paid for with blood. We need to look into it. Pray to the Father who sent His servant to save you. This this God, all-powerful, the power to judge and the power to redeem, but had the will to redeem, and He's promised redemption. Why would we not seek Him out? Why would we not go and listen to Him? Will you do it? Will you listen? Will you read His Word? Finally, as we talk about listening, those who listen to themselves will be lost. This is the last couple of verses here. We must listen to the one who listened to God. Verse 10 asks, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Now that the servant Jesus has perfectly listened and perfectly obeyed, we are to listen to him. And what does the servant say? In John 5, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Ours is to believe, to trust, and to obey. Verse 10, again, let him, walk, let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Now, we, we can see this echoed positively. There's a couple verses that people, you might put these on your refrigerator because they, they're positive and they're, they're encouraging. We see this in Psalms and Proverbs, from Psalms 119 and Proverbs 3. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's encouraging and it's beautiful. 
Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll make straight your paths. Oh, that's, that's good, and it's encouraging. Verse 11 here is the flip side of that. It's a warning, a strong warning. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches. Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This is what you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Okay, so we have encouraging verses that if we walk by the light of the Lord, he will watch out for our paths. And then we have this strong warning. If you decide to listen to yourself, if you decide to walk by your own light, you'll lie down in torment. What does he mean by lie down in torment? This isn't really code. This is eternal condemnation. This is hell. So we have a gracious promise that when we listen and trust God's word, we'll be directed and protected. And we have a dire warning. If we trust our own wisdom, our own light, and do things our own way, God promises you shall lie down in torment. If we could get the musicians to come up, I would just have a few things to say in conclusion. Um, Isaiah is telling us of the servant to come. This servant who we now know as Jesus listens to God perfectly. Isaiah warns us that failing to listen to God will bring punishment. Listening only to ourselves brings death and hell itself. But listening to his servant Jesus brings life. Are you listening to yourself or to Jesus? Are you trusting in your goodness or his? If you trust in your own actions and goodness, you'll either realize that you cannot measure up and despair, or you'll fool yourself with self-righteousness that cannot save you. Jesus calls us to trust him in his work on the cross. He lived perfectly, listening and obeying. Then he died perfectly to pay for our dead ears and hard hearts. He calls us to respond to him and to trust him. Are you listening?